the thing that I found endlessly fulfilling about farming was this constant problem solving, this constant, no matter what it is, whether it's uh, we can't find the right market for this crop, how do we solve that? Or we've got this insect pest problem, how do we solve that? Or the irrigation isn't running the way it's supposed to, how do we solve that? Constantly something new being thrown at you, some new curveball, and always trying to flex that creative muscle about how to do it, how to do it quickly so that your crops don't die, and how to do it cost effectively. In this episode of Voices from the Field, sustainable agriculture specialist Mike Lewis introduces us to one of INCAP's newest staff members, Dan Bernsteel. To say Dan has wide-ranging experience is something of an understatement. From working on fighter jets while in the Marines, to studying sustainable agriculture and managing a farm, to studying audio production in Nashville, Dan brings a lot to the table. He says he's particularly interested in Incat's arm-to-farm training for veterans and in finding ways to use his multimedia skills to make Incat's ATRA and other sustainable agriculture resources even more useful and easier to use. Let's listen. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Lewis from the NCAT Northeast office here today on this episode of Voices from the Field. I'm real excited to um, introduce one of our newest specialists, actually based out of the Northeast office with me, Dan Bernsteel. Dan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Mike. It's uh, it's great to get a chance to sit down with you. You know, we were talking before we started uh, recording this. We've, we had a brief intro call, but I think it's always nice just to get a little bit more time with a team member. Yeah, no, and I'm excited, you know, everything I, from our brief conversation and everything I've, I've heard from Andy prior to you coming on, I'm, I'm excited for the opportunity, uh, selfishly to work with you. I know you're <laughs> here to support farmers, but I, I always like to learn myself. So I'm excited about that opportunity, uh, especially with your, with your specialties. You know, I think you bring a lot to the table, but I, I want to start this just by asking what, what got you interested in agriculture? I think there's always so many fascinating stories about why people get into farming or agriculture. So maybe if you could just take a few minutes and tell us what got you into agriculture and what sort of gave you the bug that we all share. <laughs> yeah, sure thing. Um, you know, I think it was a kind of a list of many things that drew me toward agriculture. I'm, I was not born into agriculture, far from it. I'm a first generation farmer. Uh, my dad was a salesman. My mother worked in the hearth industry, you know, working with uh, wood stoves and pellet stoves. And I think what brought me to agriculture was this list of jobs that I had along the way. The first job I had at 16 was landscaping, which was great, you know, working with plants. And I always gravitated toward the fruit trees. My thought process was you could plant all these different things in your yard, but if you could, instead of just planting a regular tree, plant a fruit tree and you get fruit from it, why not do that? So I, that always kind of stuck with me, even though I, at that point, hadn't, I didn't have a garden. I didn't have any fruit trees or anything like that. So come to find out later on, it's not quite as easy as all that. But at 18, I, I joined the, the military. I spent five years in the Marines working on F-18s, um, which was interesting, you know. It's definitely a different perspective to get into. And then uh, once I got out, I just held a ton of different odd jobs. A lot of them were working with my hands, built silos for raw plastic materials for a little while. Uh, I worked in auto body for a little while. I also, which is now relevant to my career here at NCAT, I uh, attended a school in Nashville, Tennessee for audio engineering for about a year, learned kind of the ins and outs of uh, how to record music. And that has transferred over to, to this path. But I think what, what ended up drawing me to agriculture was just this 
desire to kind of blend the mechanical aspect of all the different jobs I had done with wanting to grow my own food. And so at the time, uh, you know, I moved around, traveled a little bit. And when I first got back to New Hampshire, staying with my mother and I uh, set up a little hydroponic garden down in my basement and I was growing uh, kale and peppers and collard greens. And I just thought that was great. And when I started dating my uh, now wife, I showed her, you know, I'm like, hey, come on down to, to my basement, check this out. She's like, oh no, what is it growing down here? <laughs> and uh, turns out, you know, it's it's just self-sufficient veggies. And she's, she said, I see the way that you look at those things. Why don't you kind of tailor your career toward that? It seems you've got a real passion for this. And I still had some time left on my GI Bill. So I, uh, I went back to college, went to the University of New Hampshire for sustainable agriculture and food systems, spent about uh four years there, just finishing up my degree. And uh, my last year at UNH met a restaurateur in Hooksett, New Hampshire, who was planning to start a small farm to supplement his restaurant. We sat down, had about a three-hour conversation that day about what his plans were, about what my thoughts were on agriculture. And at the end of that, he said, I'd like to hire you on as my, uh, my farm director. So I spent four years working with him at uh, Hippie's Farm as the farm director. That's what brought me to, to where I'm at today. It's, that's really great. Such an, an interesting journey. I mean, it's, it's always fascinating when you talk to a, a, a veteran and thank you for your service. I think that you went from, from F-18s to, <laughs> to kale. It's just an interesting, an interesting sort of journey. One I've made myself, so not... I, I'm a mechanic. I don't think they would have let me near one of those. One of the things I, I want people to understand is sort of your expertise. So if maybe you could give us a little bit of uh, background information on what types of things you did at the farm, uh, where your specific expertise lie in terms of production, that'd be really helpful for folks, I think, to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, to start that and to to start talking about what we did well, I think I'd like to start by talking about what we did poorly at first. Uh, so our first year, you know, I'm a, a fresh-faced kid out of college. I don't really know how to run a farm, but I've, I've got all these great ideas. And, you know, we, we spent that winter kind of sitting down with extension agents and planning out what the farm was going to be, working with the restaurant that he owned to see what we would be able to produce. And we landed on a handful of crops that we said, we're just going to focus on these. We're going to do them as best we can. And see see what we can learn this year. And so we grew tomatoes, cucumbers, basil, and sage. And those were our, our four big crops we wanted to focus on. We thought that the, the restaurant would really be able to use those. It's not to say we didn't do it all that well, but maybe our planning could have been better. Our, uh, you know, we didn't have any high tunnels or anything like that at the time. We weren't spraying any of our crops. It was, uh, it turned out to be a little bit of a mess. And so at the end of that first year, we dedicated a little bit of area. Just, I wanted to try growing some salad greens. I said, you know, I've seen one of my buddies growing these. They worked out well for him. We'll just have these as a little test crop off to the side. And at the end of the year, 33% of our sales were from the, the salad greens. So we, at the end of the year went, okay, we need to totally rethink this operation. Uh, so we had gotten two high tunnels built, which were great. You know, we're, in New Hampshire. So tough to, to really get anything going for a full season, unless you've got some way of season extension. So we got two high tunnels, which are for those that may not know they're greenhouses, but they're more temporary. You know, it's not built on a, a concrete platform. 
you're still growing in soil, but it's, you know, covered area. We had two 30 foot wide by 52 foot long high tunnels. And the next year we really leaned into that salad greens, some baby root vegetables. We put our tomatoes in the high tunnel. We put cucumbers in the high tunnel and we did a lot better. We were still selling to the restaurant primarily. And that was a, a bit of a challenge for us. So the following year, we really started to refine things further. We got two more high tunnels that were 30 foot wide by 96 foot long. We entered a few more markets. We got a, uh, a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture, with 90 members. Uh, the following year, we entered a farmer's market. And we really, we really got a handle on some of those crops we were growing. Some of the things that I feel like we did really well, aside from our salad greens, which ended up working out great, were our tomatoes. We started grafting those ourselves, doing some interesting trellising methods to try to get as much production out of those as we could. And we started, you know, we were a no spray farm. We didn't use any sprays at all. We used that as a, a marketing uh, opportunity for us. So instead of just being organic, we could take it a step further and say, we don't use any sprays at all, which, you know, creates some challenges when you could just use a pyrethrin spray or something else on striped cucumber beetles. We didn't have that tool in our tool chest. So by year four, you know, every year we had run into this big stumbling block of like our cucumbers are just not producing. We will plant them. We'll start growing them. They'll get to be about three, four feet tall. Striped cucumber beetles come in, squash beetles come in. And by the time they're five or six feet tall, they're dying off just from the physical injury and from bacterial wilt. And so we'd, you know, about a week before we anticipated them to die, we'd plant another planting, put them in another area. So we're constantly playing this cat and mouse game and it just didn't work out for us. So I said, all right, this is our last year. We're going to try to find a solution for this. And if we don't do it, we're just not growing cucumbers anymore. And uh, what we decided to do was wrap our entire high tunnel in insect netting. So there was no place where air could get in or out without passing through this insect netting. And it worked out great. All of a sudden, our cucumbers were producing more than we could imagine. You know, it was a little warmer in there, which was a little unfortunate. We went with a, a smaller hole size than was necessary to try to keep aphids out and thrips and stuff like that. And maybe learned that wasn't the best idea. But by the end of that year, our challenge was no longer having enough cucumbers to take to market. It was that every time we'd sell 150 pounds of cucumbers, we'd harvest 200 pounds of cucumbers. So, it, you know, it was a good problem to have that we decided next year we'll reduce our number of cucumber plantings and use that extra space in the high tunnel for melons or something else. But that was really, you know, aside from growing my own food, which was always great to bring home that big CSA basket at the end of the day to, to grill a bunch of veggies with my wife. The thing that I found endlessly fulfilling about farming was this constant problem solving, this constant, no matter what it is, whether it's, uh, we can't find the right market for this crop, how do we solve that? Or we've got this insect pest problem. How do we solve that? Or the irrigation isn't running the way it's supposed to. How do we solve that? Constantly something new being thrown at you, some new curveball, and always trying to flex that creative muscle about how to do it, how to do it quickly so that your crops don't die and how to do it cost effectively. Noting the, uh, you know, the sort of systems thinking approach that you apply, um, you know, and, and sort of relating that back to your engineering with, with the F-18. So, I mean, I, I think this is great. It, you know, it sounds like you're your expertise is great. I mean, you've got a great background of systems thinking and troubleshooting. 
and then uh, a wealth of production experience and high tones. But I, I want to shift, I guess, shift focus a little bit too. You said your degree was in sustainable agriculture and food systems. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about how, you know, the market problems or food systems work that you hope to do or have done or how that portion of your education ties into your work today. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things I really wanted to start focusing on as soon as I can is the probably the biggest tool that helped me as a farmer was, and it's not, it's not sexy, it's not fun, but it's just good record keeping and good crop planning. It was never fun to do. It was always a big pain in the winter to sit down when I don't really want to be thinking about farming. You know, we did a little bit of winter growing, but it was, it's never as hectic and chaotic as the summertime. So you take that as a little bit of time to try to recharge your batteries. And now I got to sit down at a computer for weeks at a time and figure out my crop planning. But when we started to do it well, everything else just became easier. And it became this, you had mentioned markets. We we started with a backwards approach where we said, it wasn't what do we want to grow? Where are we going to plant it? Anything like that. We started with what are our markets and how much can they take per week? And I, you know, I had a uh, a talk with somebody in NCAT just the other day about how they would do their planning for livestock. And they said, well, you know, we've got a couple of birthing, cow, uh, birthing cows. We get some calves that come. We take them to auction whenever they're ready. And we pick up a check the next week. And I'm going, I, I am not naive enough to think that livestock raising is all sunshine and roses. But I, in that one isolated area, I'm going, I'm so jealous. <laughs> you know, because for, for fresh veg, it, it, it is constantly this trying to navigate, you know, ha- having enough products to take to market so that you're selling all of it, if you ideally all of it, and hopefully there's just a little bit more demand than you can meet. That to me was ideal. You never want to fully saturate the market so everyone's happy. You want to leave them, leave, you know, wanting a little bit more. But if you're taking home, you know, you bring a hundred pounds of salad greens to market and you're bringing home fifty, that's not good for anyone because you spent all that time and energy planting that crop, raising it, harvesting it, washing it, bagging it bringing it to market. And now you bring it back to your coolers and go, now I got to spend more time this week figuring out how to move this crop in the next two, three days, or it's, it's wasted. So we really would, I would really spend a lot of time trying to make sure that our numbers were as close as possible. And once we had that kind of plugged in, we'd work our way backwards and say, okay, this is how much we need each week. When do we need to plant to do that? Where are we going to plant it? How much space is it going to take up? How much time is it going to take to do that? And so one of the projects I want to do first and foremost is try to work on one of those packages to show to other farmers that may be struggling with their record keeping to help them create one of those. It's such an important and often under <laughs> under you or undermanaged portion of any operation. I mean, I mean, even on mine. I um, one of the other things I found uh, humorous was you said that uh, you wanted to start with your failures, <laughs> and I think that's always, you know, that's I I always say that I'm not an expert. I I mess up a lot and take really good notes. You know, I think that's that's <laughs> that's true. I mean, there's there's so many more lessons in failure, and I think that's that's one of the things that that draws me to to agriculture personally too. It's just that there's nothing is consistent as you want it to be. Absolutely. Um, so every yeah. day the, the challenges are different. 
tell me about like um you know we're so excited to have you i'm excited to have you here now just talking to you now i have uh 47 questions over here <laughs> that and uh sadly i will probably be last in the queue but that's all right but what do you hope to do and uh, accomplish right what are your sort of your goals and ncat or i mean i mean you know you said you want to create some sort of, uh, a record keeping tool for producers which you know we all could use for sure but what other types of things do you you hope to accomplish and what do you hope to do here with us yeah you know there's i think the big thing that was so exciting for me when I was talking to Andy, the director of the Northeast branch about coming to NCAT. One of the projects that really jumped out at me was the arm to farm program. I mean, just that chance to work with veterans who want to transition into agriculture. It's such a, you know, you, you mentioned that it's not quite intuitive when you look at it from the outside, like you went from F-18s to working on crops, right? But as you said, you've made that transition. I've made that transition. And countless other vets have either made that transition or want to make that transition. I think there's a certain, there's something about it that really appeals to a lot of veterans that it's working in nature, but it's also something that's very system focused. So it, it makes sense that that has always appealed to me because I wish I had known about this program when I was transitioning to agriculture. I think that having that direct influence, not only with educators who are working with farmers and veterans, but also other veteran farmers is invaluable. You know, just that real world experience, you, you're kind of joking about how you've made a lot of mistakes, but taken really good notes. I think that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. You know, someone who's very knowledgeable about something has spent all the time in the world researching it, and they can tell you how it all works from a theory perspective. And sometimes that is the most valuable thing you can have. But wisdom, I, I feel like, is that's banging your head against the problem. And then once you bang it a different way and you go, that one worked. <laughs> and you just kind of knocks that one down. And sometimes all of the theory in the world cannot account for that real world variability that's going to come in and throw everything off. And I think they both are so important. Um, so I'm super, I'm super excited about that project. Uh, and I'm attending my first training this year just to kind of soak it in and learn. And then hopefully a little bit later on, I'll be attending my first one as an educator. I'm also really excited to bring some of my audio and video engineering skills to the team. And one of the things I'm really, I really want to hang my hat on is making sure our educational materials here in the Northeast and in NCAT as abroad are as high quality as possible. You know, I, I had a little bit of chance to work with UNH Extension for uh, joining NCAT. And my time with extension and my time as a farmer has showed me that there are such great educational materials out there. And sometimes the hardest thing is just getting that translated to a form of media that's easily digestible by farmers. You know, a lot of times farmers do not, we, we need to get this information, but we don't want to sit down for an hour or an hour and a half and watch something that is about as, exci uh, about as exciting as paint dry. And it's a shame because sometimes it can be exciting if it's presented in the same way. I don't think that I'm a master at getting that done, but I want to work on that, you know, see if I can take some of this great knowledge and great wisdom that people here at NCAT and some of our, our farming cohorts have and see if I can translate to that to a way that is more easily digestible by farmers. But that's great. And I, I think there's uh, plenty of opportunity with the Armed Farm Program. I think there's uh, there's quite a few of those coming up in the next couple of years. Uh, I'll actually be uh, 
attending my first one coming up here as well but i think i'm getting thrown into the to the fire and i'll be there as an educator <laughs> well it's really interesting to hear your excitement about that and i think that your perspective that you were just talking about you know with the problem solving and the record keeping i think that that's going to bring a lot of value to the to the program so excited to to hear that you're coming into that world as well is there anything else that you know we didn't talk about that i, I want to talk about you know um what's your favorite color or just something <laughs> exciting or interesting i'm excited to uh to do a little bit of gardening now that's a little bit less <laughs> high stress, you know, we, my wife and I got really into uh, Sucrin when I was a farmer, these little mini romaine heads, we'd cut them yep. in half, we'd baste them with some salad dressing and do them on the grill, you know, about a minute on each side, and they were so good. But it's a little bit different when you're, you know, trying to get those things to market. And then you're like, hey, I got a few extra, I'll bring them home versus having a nice little garden, I kind of make that my, uh, my little zen area. So but uh, you know, I'm up, I'm just really excited to join the team. I, I feel like getting to talk to everyone on the team a little bit and then getting to talk to everyone in NCAT as a whole has just been really fantastic. Everyone, it just seems like such a great community to work with. So uh, I'm excited to see how I can contribute, how I can be a valuable member to the team. And Dan, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Additional information about this episode and related resources can be found at atra.incat.org. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Voices from the Field wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Rich Myers. ATRA, Voices from the Field, is produced by the National Center for Appropriate Technology, headquartered in Butte, Montana. It's supported by the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service as part of NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the USDA or NCAT. We'll catch you again next week, and until then, keep on farming.